We've highlighted time and time again in this sermon series, A Perfect Father, uh, what is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So what image comes to your mind when you think about God right now? Do you know one of the common ones I've heard over the years? The big guy upstairs. People say this because they view God as someone who's been around forever, who's always there, who's big but sort of detached until I need Him or I need to believe in Him. In my lifetime, I have heard this saying about God more times than I can count. I believe in the big guy upstairs. Others view God as sort of a rule-making God, kind of the heavenly umpire, if you will, uh, who's all about do's and don'ts. If you do well in life, you get points with this God. But if you mess up, you get penalized. And this is the God that one has to toe the line for in order to stay in this God's good graces. Still others' image of God is of an angry God who loves to dole out consequences and punishment. This angry God doesn't like people that much and just cannot wait to ruin your life. This God thrives on handing out discipline and judgment, and He loves to see people squirm. This God is good at catching people in the act and letting them reap what they sow in life. Next there is the butler God, or some like to think of him as the concierge God. You know, the one who is there at your beck and call, sort of like akin to Alexa. Alexa, tell me how many stanzas are in Amazing Grace. Or Siri, Siri, tell me who composed, who's the one who wrote the hymn Amazing grace. And we can ask those questions from Alexa or Siri, and we can get the answers to our questions that we may have. Now, if you listen to some people talk about their God in this camp, you will discover that this God exists to meet their needs. And when needed most, they will call on their God. But when no help is required, the butler God, or as some call the concierge God, just seems to vanish into thin air. Then there is the one that we're probably most familiar with, the me God. The me God. Uh, now, no one would directly say, I am God, other than some of our former personality cult leaders like Reverend Sung Young Moon or David Koresh or Jim Jones. But yet, even though people don't directly say that they are God, they sure act like they're God, and they sure think that way, as people are very good at calling the shots, their own shots, for their life. They're the ones who are in control. I'm a self-made man, a self-made woman. I'm the captain of my own fate. I am the director of my destination. No one tells me what to do in life. And in their words and actions, they come across as if the world revolves around you. Thank you very much. Now, we all have probably encountered someone who has the me-God image of God in their worldview. 
Now, in our culture, there's also another very popular image of God that many people have, and some like to call this the smorgasbord God. This God is highly popular in the world that doesn't believe in absolute truth. There's, there's only my truth. And what is so attractive about the smorgasbord God, this God of convenience, is that people get to pick and choose what they like about God. This God is then non-offensive, non-abrasive, non-absolute, accepting of all lifestyles and, and any and all lifestyles. Nothing or no one is ever right or wrong with this God. And when this portrait of God is in people's minds, life is one great big continuous buffet line where you get to take and pick and choose only what you want. See, everything goes and everything is acceptable with this God. And their motto is, to each his own. So what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And my hope and my prayer in this sermon series called A Perfect Father is that you will come to see God as your perfect Father, not as a reflection of your earthly father, however good or bad your earthly father may have been. Now, we've spoken a lot in this sermon series about our earthly fathers when we were growing up, and, uh, and they erected a view of fatherhood for some of us that might have actually impeded our view of God. God the Father wants us to discover that He is a perfect father, that He's a loving father, that He's trustworthy and faithful and welcoming that our Father, perfect Father, is dependable and always there. And the reality is all earthly fathers fall short in portraying God as Father. Some fall more short than others do. Some have been very good fathers but still have fallen short, while others have been poor fathers, very bad fathers. And without a doubt, there is a fatherhood crisis in our world. Too many fathers have no problem producing children, but they don't tend to stick around long enough to be dad. Presently, one in every three children growing up in the United States of America right now, just short of that, are growing up in a home without a father. That's over 30% of children in the United States right now who wake up every single day without a father present in their home. And in some ethnic groups, that percent right now is hovering around the 70% mark. And we wonder why our society is paying such a high price right now. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. We have a fatherhood crisis in America right now. And without question, the evil one, Satan, our enemy, wants to destroy fatherhood. The devil wants to shatter in our culture any semblance of what a good father happens to be. Satan wants to wreck relationships. He wants to wreck families. And he wants to wreck images of good fathers because if he can accomplish this, he's well on his way to distorting people's images of God as father. Now earlier I shared in this message some of the distorted views of God that people tend to have. What I didn't share with you, though, was the types of earthly fathers which usually produce such belief systems in their offspring. 
So let's talk for a few minutes today about some of the main ones who tend to dominate their children's images of God. The first one we're going to talk about is the absent father. And this may be like my case, growing up without a father because my father passed away when I was five years old. And he passed away from a virus. Yes, viruses are very real. It wasn't the coronavirus, but it was a virus that attacked his heart. And his heart, by the doctor's own notes that I've had the chance to read in adult life, he compared it to like a rotten inner tube. So in 1966, a virus attacks his heart and it begins to basically rot. And there's nothing they could have done except a heart transplant, which the very first heart transplant ever attempted was in 1967. And that person lived six weeks after that heart transplant. But this was a painful way to grow up without a father. But I actually think my childhood was better than others who experienced the absent father syndrome through divorce, distance, or disinterest. Now let me say, there are many fathers out there who have gone through a divorce and who have stayed very engaged in their children's lives. I'm not talking about them here. I'm talking about children who barely get to know their fathers or maybe have never had a chance to know their fathers because dad now has another wife, another family, another life, another domicile. Ultimately, these dads are not present in their children's lives. And boy, does this leave a hole. Children in these circumstances often grow up with a lack of security, a lack of direction in their lives, a lack of support and counsel and blessing and encouragement and help. Children from these backgrounds often have feelings of abandonment, questions of self-worth and fears of ever opening up their hearts to anyone else, much less to God as Father. And too often children in such circumstances try to seek self-worth from a host of lesser things. And this kind of father really distorts young people's view of God. Now the second kind of father I want to mention this morning is the abusive father. And this is like the example I shared last week where Pastor Kerry had a junior high volunteer back in his early days here when he was a youth pastor. And uh, the youth group had affectionately named this guy Caveman. Well, this guy grew up in a home where his father physically abused him. So he struggled for years and years as a Christian to accept God as father because he was always waiting for God to smack him. You know, God was going to whack him sometime. You know, abusive fathers also show up in other ways besides just that physical abuse. Many times it's in the form of put-downs, of condescending words, debilitating, life-crushing words, biting words. And sometimes it's just simply sarcasm, but it always has a dig to it. And we've all heard the saying, sticks and stones will break, you know, break my bones, but words will never hurt, them, hurt me. That's not true. That's absolutely false. Broken bones generally heal up just fine. But, but things that are said to people, especially children, over and over through the years can take a long time to overcome, a long time to heal from. And in such homes, children have spent their childhoods being humiliated, manipulated, intimidated, and always being the one at fault. The verbal abuse was horrible. And yet, there's other kinds of abuse too. Besides the verbal and the physical abuse, there's, there's places where people have been abused spiritually or emotionally or sexually abused. Whatever form the abuse took in a person's life, 
it leads people to low self-esteem and to trust issues, and especially toward those in positions of authority. It's also well-known in homes like this for producing children who are angry, who are depressed and defensive. Children growing up in abusive homes have a real hard time with the image of God as father. Let me tell you about the third kind of parent, the conditional love father. And last week, we talked briefly about this as well. And this kind of parent is the one who's okay at handing out love and blessings, but it often comes with a price, the price of conditions. It's only when the child gets or dominates in sports. Children in these homes always have to measure up in order to receive their father's approval. Any missteps or failures along the way will result in their father's scorn. And these dads are always watching. They're always evaluating, which often entails even videotaping what their children are doing. And then as soon as they're at home, guess who gets to go get coached through all of this? You know, watching all this videotape and telling them everything they've done wrong. These fathers are always judging, always prodding, even manipulating and often condemning. And young people growing up in such homes often think that they have to win God's approval as well. God's approval as well. That and their own spiritual accomplishments. The fourth kind of dad we want to talk about is the antagonistic father. Now, this dad is hyper-competitive. He, he, he has to win at everything. His motto is, I'm a winner. I am going to win. And generally, this person takes up all of the oxygen in the room. There's no, there's no air left for anybody else because this person takes it all up. This dad is always better than you smarter than you, knows more than you uh, do, and knows better than you do. And this father knows all of their children's flaws and can easily and readily point them out. This dad feels more like an enemy than a protective father. He's not just not in your corner. He's against you. And many young people growing up in these homes grow up thinking that God as father is against them that God doesn't have their best interest in mind, that God doesn't have their back. Now, the fifth kind of father I want to mention today is the passive father. Now, this dad may be nice, but he's weak and mostly silent. This is the father who shows no leadership in the family or in the home, so mom has to take up this mantle. This dad offers little by way of example or initiative or guidance or even in regards to taking responsibility. He's there, but he's not always present. He has the paper or a book or the remote always in hand. He's got the game on, but rarely is he attentive to his children. This father has never shown his sons how to be men or his daughters how to recognize a good man when they see one. Or he's never taught his daughters either what it's like to be loved and treasured by a man. Now, this father teaches his children, not always, uh, you know, overtly, but he's teaching them, you know, passively. He's teaching his children that God as father is a non-factor in your life. 
Now, have any of these types of earthly fathers impaired your view of God? The absent father? The abusive father? The conditional love father? The antagonistic father? Or the passive father? Do you have any notions in your heart of God being distant or harsh or conditional or adversarial or just detached? Remember Psalm 27, verse 10? Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He will take care of us. God the Father is not a reflection of your earthly father. Here's what you need to understand. He's the perfection of earthly fathers. We're talking about the perfect father. Not a flawed earthly father. We're talking about a perfect father. And through Christ Jesus, faith in Christ, we can find the Father that we've been longing for our entire lives. Hebrews 10 verse 14 reads, For by one sacrifice he, was ma he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. To be made perfect there means to be made complete. So in Christ... Yes, we're justified. It's just as if we'd never sinned. But we also have everything that we need in life to live a full, meaningful life. Once we're in Christ Jesus, we can move forward and we can heal, we can grow, we can become something we could never be apart from Christ. And Jesus said it in John 10.10. 10. He said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That means a meaningful, abundant, purposeful life. That's what we have in Christ. In Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, it says, Sing to God. Sing in praise of His name. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows. We should be worshiping God, praising God, singing to God because He's a father to the fatherless. This verse has been a blessing to me in my entire life. I've been 56 years without a father. So man, oh man, does this minister to my heart. God is my father. He's a father to the fatherless. Hebrews 1 verse 3, we've looked at this a few weeks ago, but it tells us here that the Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of His being. If I need to know what my Father's like, my Heavenly Father, my perfect Heavenly Father, I look to Jesus I look to the love of Jesus. You know, everything Jesus did, what he taught, how he lived his life, his attitudes, everything. And I know what God the Father is like. And that's what was being referred to here in Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You know, the Apostle John, or John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, uh, referring to John the Baptist, it says this, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. John the Baptist. I myself did not know him. 
But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And, and not only was he commissioned to do that, they were also family friends of Jesus' earthly parents. So you've already got these connections of friendship. Then you have the anointing and the appointment of being the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And yet it tells us here, he did not recognize him on his own. God had to reveal it to him. See, no one knows the Father except the Son. And it was Jesus who reveals the heavenly Father to us. He's chosen to reveal it to us. And then it says here in verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Life is full of struggles and hardships. And it's easy to grow weary. It's normal in life to get discouraged. You don't need to have all of the political tensions and social tensions and racial tensions and you know, virus tensions and everything else we have in life to get discouraged. You can get discouraged without that. But imagine how discouraged people are now. And it's common to stumble under the weight of all of life's burdens like people are doing right now. And, and add into that maybe not the best childhoods or the best parenting or the best fathers in our life and our families of origin. But God's gift to us is rest and a lighter load. We don't have to carry all the burdens by ourselves because we have a God who will carry them for us, who will bear our burdens. And when we come to Christ, we enter a family of believers who will also bear one another's burdens. Listen to what Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 says. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knows how frail we are. God knows all of our needs, all of our weaknesses, all of our struggles in life. He knows all of our burdens in life. And he has compassion on those who fear him. You know, if you are a person who was wounded by your earthly father, a person who may have said things like this in your lifetime, well, I don't care about my dad. Or I don't need him anyway. Or what he did to me back then has nothing to do with me now. Or I'm better off without him. Or I don't care if I ever see him again. If you're ever a person who said those kinds of things, the path toward healing these wounds in your life is God's love. It's God's grace. It's a relationship with God the Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Through faith in Christ, we can find healing for all of our wounds. And we can find a Father that we have been longing for all our lives, a perfect heavenly Father. Now, I want to leave you today with some things that God says about us in the Bible. And this comes directly from our perfect heavenly Father, from the heart of God. This is what God thinks of us. And there's a lot of things. I had to cut it short. But here are things that God says about us. 
You know he says in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in the Bible that before we were formed in the womb, God knew us. That's how intimate God is with us. That's how close God is. Before we even were developing in the womb, God knew us. You know, it tells us in the Psalms that we are the apple of His eye. I mean, the delight of God's eye. This great, big, loving, juicy apple right there. God, we're the apple of His eye. It tells us in the Scriptures that God so loved the world. That's us. The world is us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And it says in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrated His love. He, he showed us His love. He demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Please grasp this. Before God asked anything from us, He gave us His Son. Isn't that something? Before He ever said one thing to us or required one thing of us, He gave us His Son. And you know God has plans for us? The Bible tells us that in the, in the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. And we are God's children. Think about that. He says it clearly in His Word in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And you know something also unique the Bible says? This is what God says about us, what He thinks about us, is that God has never given up on us. And He never will give up on us. doesn't matter. Not going to let us down, not going to forsake us. Never will I leave you, He says. Never will I forsake you. And you know another interesting thing the Bible says? We've all been given spiritual gifts. If we're in Christ Jesus, we've been given special grace endowments, special spiritual abilities to do God's work in this world. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are His uh, workmanship, created to do good works. And it's all how Christ has apportioned it. And you know we also have access to the throne of grace, and we have a seat at the table in heaven. We have a perfect heavenly Father who loves us, uh, a God that we can call Father. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, today, again, we want to praise you as our Father, as our perfect heavenly Father. And Lord, we know that fatherhood is so important in this world. In fact, we believe that much of the social struggles we're seeing in our, in our society and around the world relate to fatherhood issues. So we know it's very important and very serious. And yet, God, there are times, I think, when we lose sight of you as God the Father. Um, God, our image gets distorted, sometimes because of our families of origin, sometimes uh, because of cultural pressures or sometimes uh, just because of uh, unbelief. But whatever it is, God, um, we need a clear vision, a clear picture, an image of who you truly are. And I pray, God, throughout this entire sermon series that we will come to that understanding that you are our perfect 
Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.